Welcome back to Analyze Asia. This is your host Carol In, and you are listening to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissecting the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. And today on our show is Simon Camp, founder and CEO of Capios, chief analyst at Data Portal, and major Twitter influencer with almost two hundred thousand followers. Wow! Welcome back to Analyze Asia, Simon. Thanks, Carol. Great to be back with you. Yes. Now we met in person in September during the Analyze Asia anniversary live show in Singapore. Again, thank you so much for coming as one of the three mysterious guests. Now, since our last conversation, what have you been up to? So, shortly after I saw you guys in Singapore, we. Went to work on our Q4 update to our global digital reports. So regular listeners to the show who remember, I've had regular conversations with Bernard about this over the years. We publish these global digital reports on a regular basis, cover 240 plus countries around the world, but we also publish global headlines for the latest internet user, social media, mobile user, and e-commerce user stats. And every quarter we publish the updates to those global headlines. So in October we produced our Q4 2019 report. Published that just a few weeks ago, and then since then I've been up in Japan working on a social commerce activity. Sounds really cool. Now let's talk about some of the updates to the global headlines. What are some of the key trends that you have observed globally, and then what are some of these trends that are very specific to the Asia Pacific? So, in terms of those global headlines, it was quite an interesting quarter. So the three months between. This most recent report and the one previous to that, we got a whole lot of new data had been published by some of the key providers, so people like the International Telecom Union, the ITU, and also some new data from Facebook as a company. So the internet user numbers grew quite considerably based on that new data. I think it's probably worth noting that that doesn't necessarily mean that there's suddenly been a huge number of new users just in the last three months. It's just that we've suddenly got access to more accurate and recent data, but nonetheless, lots of very Good growth, especially in a lot of the emerging markets, and、uh, plenty of growth coming through in Asia as part of that as well. So we'll dig into that in a little bit as part of the conversation. But the same sort of story in the social media user data as well. So the the big sort of growth number this quarter came from India, where we got some new data on WhatsApp users and India, or rather WhatsApp publishing that they have now more than four hundred million active users in India alone. So some really Quite impressive stuff there. If we、uh, if we take the last number that WhatsApp published as its global user base, which I'm guessing has grown in the meantime, but let's just take that as a base. The last number they published was 1.6 billion. So that would mean that India already accounts for roughly a quarter. Of the total user base for WhatsApp around the world, which is really quite impressive if you consider how quickly that's grown. Yeah, that is very impressive, and I'm sure if WhatsApp wasn't banned in China, we would have another couple hundred million users added onto the existing numbers. Yeah, China always seems、well, to deliver those big numbers. That's right, and I know that in this Q4 report, you specifically talk about Asia's rising. Can you break down for us what are some of the key areas that Asia is rising in? 
Yeah. So there's a multitude of different things here. I think it will come as no surprise to anybody listening to this podcast that there's sort of all sorts of growth across all things digital around Asia. The main reason that we decided to introduce that story as part of our analysis of this quarter's numbers was just it became very clear when we were analysing things like the ranking of the world's most used mobile apps and also the world's most visited website. So we're at the stage now where AppAnnie, who is the partner that shares the App Insights data for our report. The latest numbers that they published show that six of the top 10 mobile apps in the world when it comes to active users are all out of Asia, which is brilliant news. Just curiously, the remaining four are all owned by Facebook. So at the moment, you're kind of looking at a situation where Facebook and China dominate the mobile landscape, which is quite impressive. There's a few different things coming out of those apps. So it's not just that it's all about social media. You're seeing quite a lot of things in there, like especially e-commerce coming out of China. So things like Tmall, Taobao, very popular and increasing in popularity all around the world. So it's not just about the internal Chinese story. We're seeing those platforms and those apps gaining momentum all across APAC and in fact around the rest of the world as well, which is quite an interesting development. We're seeing similar sorts of patterns coming through in the websites that people visit as well. So not just on their mobile devices, but across all sorts of internet connectivity. And we're seeing Again, those e-commerce sites coming through quite strongly. Baidu having a great presence. That's probably largely driven by activity within China, but nonetheless still a very impressive result from a sort of global perspective. Uh, But other things coming through in there as well. So we noticed that in particular this quarter, Yahoo Japan has done very well from a global perspective, entering the top 20 websites as ranked by SimilarWeb. So it's quite interesting to see that you've, you've got this influence, if you like, of apps and companies and websites and digital digital properties that are based in Asia that are growing their popularity and their momentum around the world in general. So from my perspective, this is something that we've been tracking for a while. It's become very clear now, and I think it's going to be something that we see a huge amount more of as we enter the next decade. So obviously, we're only a few weeks away from going into the 2020s. I think we'll see a huge shift in the way that the world consumes internet data and the sites and the apps that the internet powers as we move into that new next decade. So I thought this would be a really good opportune moment to introduce that just as we're about to enter it to say this is one of the key trends marketers and businesses need to be looking at as we enter that new decade. I almost forgot that we are going to be entering into a new decade. I thought it was just any other year, but no, (laughs) it's going to be 2020 soon. That's it, catching up with us. Wow. right. Yeah. And for our listeners uh, who might not necessarily know the top apps that you're talking about, I have the list in front of me. The Facebook apps include the uh, the WhatsApp, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, and Instagram. So those are the four out of the top 10 apps ranked by monthly active users. And then the other Chinese apps ranking from top down is WeChat, TikTok, Alipay, QQ, Taobao, and Baidu. That's right. They're all Chinese-based. <laughs> That's right. And you know what? If I did not have VPN on my phone, I would be using all 10 of these apps. Actually, no, probably just nine because I exert self-restraint by not downloading TikTok because I know once I have it, I'm going to be spending hours and hours just scrolling through all the addictive videos and having their AI feed me everything that I know I would like. Yeah. And you're talking about a Facebook. We know that there were a lot of recent backlash on Facebook 
of course. And does the data show that the social media has been on decline or are they in fact been gaining popularity? Are the other, you know, the WhatsApp, the Instagram, have they been affected? This is one of those really interesting questions. We've been tracking this for a while now. So the events of last year when we had the Cambridge Analytica scandal and everything sort of blew up, if you like. Um, We tracked all of the user data for these platforms since then. So we report on the advertising audience numbers. So they're not quite the same as the monthly active user numbers that these platforms will publish in their earnings announcements and the ones that you'll probably see quoted in the media. The numbers that we report are just based on the number of people that advertisers can reach on these platforms using targeted advertising. It's interesting. This is the first time that I've detected a very clear change in a downward direction across some of those key markets for Facebook specifically. So obviously Facebook as a company owns a multitude of different platforms. We'll talk about some of those other platforms in just a minute. But for let's call it Facebook blue as it used to be, we've noticed that in two of the top markets, the United States and Indonesia, the size of that advertising audience has actually shrunk slightly in the past three months. Now, we're not talking about anything dramatic here. It's not like the the users have suddenly disappeared. But we are seeing a sort of downward trend, if you like, in that number. That'd be very interesting to see whether that is repeated as we move into the next set of reports that we'll be publishing in January. Uh, My suspicion is that Facebook doesn't really have a lot of room left to grow in a lot of those Western markets. If you look at the penetration levels amongst, especially places like the United States, there's, there's very little room left for Facebook to attract new users. So this was almost inevitable. Once you get to that sort of scale, things have to flatten out. And as you look at those younger users in particular and realize that fewer and fewer of them are taken to Facebook and they're perhaps going to things like Instagram and TikTok instead, it feels like this is just part of the natural growth and decline cycle of things that we care about, whether it's fashion, whether it's the seasons, you name it. Okay. So yeah, I mean, I think this is a, it's an interesting one, because if you look at other markets within Facebook's world, there's still lots of growth going on there. So overall, as a platform, Facebook still grew over the last three months, not as fast as it has done previously, but it's still got growth going on in there. So definitely no reason for anybody to worry at this point, especially not from a marketing perspective. Facebook is still by far the biggest platform out there and is still the biggest platform around Asia if you take out the sort of the the China specific apps like WeChat. So I think, you know, from that perspective, it's one to keep your eye on. The good news is we make all of these data points available for free in those reports. So if you want to check back in again in our January reports, then you'll be able to see how those numbers have changed. But you mentioning TikTok was a really interesting one. So unfortunately, ByteDance, which is the company that owns TikTok, hasn't actually published any updates to the specific active user data for TikTok in recent months. But it's very clear when we start looking at things like the number of downloads in for the app and also the active users of those apps, uh, all of that data coming from various different providers. So App Annie gives us that data, but we've also seen similar things from companies like Sensor Tower. Very clear that TikTok is one of the top most used apps around the world. And if we look at that App Annie ranking, for example, of the most used apps over the last three months, TikTok coming in just behind Instagram, very clear that that's now a very popular choice around the world. So if you did end up downloading it and spending those hours looking at all of their AI feed, you certainly wouldn't be alone. 
That's right. You know, instead of downloading the app, because I know I'm not going to be able to help myself, what I end up doing is I would go on YouTube on my computer and I would just watch videos of compilations of the most popular TikTok videos and I would watch hours on end. It's terrible. So I can only imagine if I had actually downloaded the app. And I know that they don't show time. Once you enter the TikTok app, they don't show time. So you don't know how much time has passed. Exactly. It's a black hole. And because there's such short videos as well, right? So if you think about it, 15 seconds, not really that long as a video. And yet you can quite happily watch these things for hours, as we've seen kids doing around the world. The way that it works is absolutely Amazing. So if you look at this from a marketing perspective, and if you look at the kinds of audiences that TikTok is attracting, I think there's a huge amount that there is still for us to learn when we look at things like short form video, when we look at the style of video that is becoming so popular as a result of these platforms. It's almost a reaction to the very slick, the very polished world that Instagram has become. Now, I'm not saying one of them is better or more effective than the other, but it's just really interesting how quickly these cycles change. And I think from a marketing perspective, if listeners to the show are sort of putting together their 2020 plans or if they're thinking about whether they should add or remove any of these platforms from their mix, if you like, I think that the really important thing to look at here is what is it that is engaging your audience? What does your audience want and where are the best places to deliver? that kind of stuff. It's very easy for us to be sitting here on the show talking about all these numbers. But I think what fascinates me most is not just the growth in those user numbers, exactly as you said, Carol, it's the amount of time that people are spending consuming the content that their peers are generating and creating and publishing. It's just fascinating how quickly that world has changed. That's right. And also TikTok is because of all these videos, you need these background music. And so TikTok has actually also given popularity to artists and to songs that you would have never had the chance to hear outside of the app. And in China here, we have all these playlists that are just top TikTok songs because you you just watch the same style of video that all use the same background music, but just produced by different people. And it's just a replay of the same song over and over and over again. And it really, it really sticks to your head. This is one of the things that's quite interesting. When we look at this from an Asian perspective, some of the stuff that we learned over recent weeks when I mentioned earlier that I was doing some work up in Japan. So we've been spending some time talking to people out there. What we found really interesting was that TikTok has gained quite a lot of momentum in Japan as well, which is quite unusual usual because it's a very different sort of internet ecosystem up in Japan and especially when it comes to social media you can't really expect to see the same things in Japan as you do elsewhere so currently the most popular social media app in Japan is Line which is a very sort of locally tailored messaging app and then the second most popular is Twitter which is really surprising so much much bigger than both Instagram and Facebook but the reason that TikTok has gained so much momentum in Japan is because it sets these challenges so exactly like you said you know you pick a song and you sort of set people to do a dance challenge to that song for some reason that has completely resonated with the way that especially a lot of the younger users in Japan use social media and it's you know, the whole thing's caught fire. It's, it's gone absolutely crazy in terms of its popularity, but it is exactly like you said, people do the same sort of challenge and doing the same kind of dance moves, but putting their own twist on it, putting their own spin on it, doing it in their own kinds of costumes, whatever it may be. It's just really interesting to see how that's developed in different ways in different parts of the world. But I don't think we're anywhere near seeing that peak yet either. I think TikTok's got plenty more momentum to go and it's going to have a lot more influence as we head into 2020 as well. 
What about TikTok in the U.S.? TikTok is the product of a Chinese company. Do you think it's going to face potential challenges, headwinds in the U.S., similar to other Chinese company facing challenges in the U.S.? I knew we couldn't get away without talking about the political side of this. So this is one of those ones that I've been looking at as well. I find this one really interesting because part of this is going to be security driven. I think there are some genuine concerns amongst Western governments that perhaps the amount of data that's being collected about people all around the world is being sent back to China. And, you know, there have been various concerns raised by Western governments about how they feel about this. Now, I'm not going to get into who's right and who's wrong, because I think there's a very clear sort of different set of perspectives on this. But I have to say that's only one part of the story. I do also get the sense that beyond security concerns, part of the story here almost feels like an extension of the recent trade tariffs that we've seen implemented between the US and China in both directions. This almost feels like the digital equivalent of that. So it almost feels a little bit like there's a bit of cat and mouse going on here. I think a lot of the American companies, the Facebooks, the Googles, they feel a little bit of resentment for the fact that they are not able to access the Chinese market because of the government restrictions there. And I think that they may have been putting pressure behind the scenes on their governments to not necessarily do exactly the same thing, but certainly to put pressure on companies coming out of China so that it's at least in their minds a little bit more balanced in both directions. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see more pressure coming onto platforms like TikTok over the next few months and years. I think it's it'll be disappointing if that does happen because the whole point of the internet is that it provides easy access to people wherever they may be. But I, I kind of just feel in the current political climate, it's, it's almost inevitable that we're going to see more of these slightly unfortunate restrictions, if you like. Now, from a security perspective, I don't disagree. We need to be protected. And I think we'll see a lot more of that coming through regulation. But if this is just about who's right and who's wrong when it comes to sort of these restrictions, I think I think we're just doing ourselves all a disservice with that. I agree. You mentioned Japan earlier. So I also know that in your report, you mentioned how some of the top apps in Asia Pacific are no longer just confined to China, to Chinese apps, but there are also uh, Japanese and, and Korean products as well. So is this, do you think, a trend that is going to last? Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt there. So a lot of the stuff that we're seeing coming through out of Asia is in the mobile app world. I think it will come as no surprise to anybody listening that the mobile devices that we're using are the the key sort of powering of the growth of internet use around Asia Pacific. When you look at the kinds of companies that are coming through, so I mentioned earlier that we saw Yahoo Japan had come through the top websites. But when you look at the apps that are coming through strongly around the world, a lot of it is driven by gaming. Now, inevitably, you've got the strong Chinese companies when it comes to gaming as well. So Tencent doing incredibly well when it comes to games as well as to social media. But we're seeing companies coming out of Japan that are producing a lot of popular games as well, whether it's sort of the the heritage of things like uh, Pokemon Go and whatever else. I think the Japanese savviness, if you like, for gaming has been around for decades. And that fortunately has translated into the mobile world as well. So I think the understanding that they've got in games is going to help them to sort of translate their skills and their understanding of user behaviors into other areas as well. What we're seeing at the moment is gaming taking on an increasing role in people's entertainment 
worlds. So they're playing more games, they're consuming more of this kind of gaming content as well by watching other people playing games, by watching esports tournaments. And I think an understanding of how that world works helps to inform all sorts of really interesting things like what kind of movies and how TV content may evolve as well. So whether it is going to be the evolution of games and especially as we move into streaming games, which things like 5G are going to make even more popular, I think we're going to also see then an influence in the Asian culture, if you like, entering into an awful lot more areas of entertainment as well. So instead of it being almost a Hollywood out approach, we're going to start seeing a lot more of those Asian influences in global content too. That's right. You mentioned 5G. That is very important to gaming, especially mobile gaming. And of course, it's going to bring a lot of other changes in the way we use the internet as well. And since actually the publishing of the report, China has rolled out a massive 5G network. The three major network operators, China Unicom, China Telecom, China Mobile, they all came out with consumer plans for 5G. That is also really cheap. <laughs> it's only about 18 USD for 30 gigabytes of 5G connectivity in a month. That is really cheap, I think, for people who are used to paying much higher rates uh, for much less in, in the rest of the world. And how do you think the 5G is going to transform Asia Pacific this quarter? So this is an interesting one. I get a lot of debate from this and I hear different perspectives from different people in the industry as well as from sort of, you know, just the consumer perspective. I think what we're going to see is 5G accelerating an evolution, but perhaps not delivering the revolution that a lot of people have sort of been hyping it up for in the media. So 5G definitely delivering much, much faster connection speeds just to sort of back that statement up we've been tracking internet connectivity sort of speeds of both mobile and fixed connections data published by Ookla as part of their speed test. You'll find the full set of details for that in the report, but the data for South Korea, which has arguably had the, the sort of the longest standing rollout of 5G of any country in the world, they've more than doubled the average mobile connection speed over the last 12 months. And that's still not with everybody using 5G. So if you look at that in context, you've now got to the stage where over the last three months, the average mobile connection in South Korea averaged more than a 100 megabits per second as a connection speed. Now, that probably doesn't mean anything off the top of your head. To put that number into perspective, Netflix says that if you want to stream a 4K video in full quality to your device, you're going to need a connection of 25 megabits a second. So this, if you put that into perspective, that means that the average 5G connection or even the average mobile connection in South Korea is now capable of simultaneously streaming four separate 4K movies. That kind of gives you a sense of just how quick and how much bandwidth there is on these connections. So yeah, it's going to have a, an important impact for people that want to be consuming more videos especially without buffering and making sure that they can watch that video in high resolution. But especially for things like gaming, where latency is such an important issue, that's one of the reasons why 5G is going to play an important role in there. It's going to allow people to have that, that sort of real live action gaming experience that is so important to many gamers that until recently has been a little bit sketchy, if you like, on slower connection. Depends a little bit on when that rollout comes.
comes. So obviously you're saying that, you know, China's just announced that it's got its rollout coming. It's still not arrived to places like Singapore, which tend to be sort of seen as some of the more technologically advanced places in the world. So still plenty of time in the future before this becomes ubiquitous around the region. But nonetheless, we're certainly seeing a lot of appetite from both the sort of the infrastructure side and also from the consumer side to get those faster connections in place. So I think as we see that rollout coming, you're going to see a lot more activity, hopefully tumbling prices also, and therefore a lot more consumption of the content that's being published out there as well. You're talking about Singapore, and I think about Toronto, and how right now we don't even have a cell service, let alone data uh, connectivity underground in the subway system. And yet China has already rolled out 5G that covers, I think, over 50 cities. Let's talk about some happier things. So um, 2020 is coming up very soon. What are some of the things that we should be looking forward to in the upcoming new year? So I think I'm going to look at this from a marketing perspective. One of the things that has been on my mind for quite a long time now, but I certainly see no signs of slowing our voice interfaces. I think I probably talked about this with Bernard on my previous conversation on this show as well, but I just want to reiterate, this is this is a crucially important development in the internet world. I think whenever we talk about voice, people tend to think immediately of what they've seen in the media and they start thinking about smart home devices, especially smart shopping devices. And I want to emphasize that that is not the only use case that we're talking about here. So especially for people who've seen what goes on in China and the way that people use WeChat, there's an awful lot of that speaking into the app to be able to send voice messages to friends. And that means that there's this comfort of speaking into your device at almost all times of the day. That very quickly then translates into things like using your voice to do searches on search engines. It translates into even using dictation if you're trying to type out emails and whatever else. And especially amongst younger users of whom if you think about the Asia-Pacific region where the average age is much, much lower than it is in the West, younger users coming on, they've never used a computer, they've never learned to type. And so voice interfaces are a much more natural way for them to learn to use a device, especially if it's the first time that they're coming into contact with an internet-powered device. So I think you're going to see a much, much quicker adoption of voice in this part of the world. But because this part of the world already accounts for more than half of our digital users around the world, you're going to see that then translating into increased interest and adoption of these technologies around the world as well. So I would be very surprised if voice doesn't become a central part of our internet experiences within the next couple of years. Now, for somebody like me who's been using the internet for 20 years, I hate to give away my age, even longer than, you know, I've developed habits. And I think this is one of the, the challenges that a lot of Western internet users and especially Western business people will face. Because we've been using the internet and computers for so long, we've developed habits that mean we quickly get to the things that we think we were looking for, whether it's a search result, whether it's typing stuff into a Microsoft Office or whatever else it may be. The difference is that the kids that are coming online for the first time today don't have the same set of needs, don't have the same set of habits, and they will develop very different habits. And the reality is, much as we may represent as an older group a relatively lucrative opportunity today, realistically, those kids are the future. That's where the lucrative opportunity lies tomorrow. And that's where the sensible businesses are going to be investing their money. So if you've discounted voice, now's a good time to maybe go back and check again whether or not that was the right thing to do. Now's a good time to go and think about what would voice mean if I was doing it as a voice interface on a phone to activate everything on my device and not just as a smart speaker to do my shopping on. So that would be my 
number one tip, I think. The second tip goes to games. I've talked a bit about games already, so I'm not going to go too much into more detail on that. But I think gaming is going to have an increasingly important role, especially in our entertainment world. I think it's going to take up an increasing amount of people's time and especially those younger users again. But I think that the most important thing that I'm thinking about as we move into the next decade is just a slight shift in the way that the internet works. So we mentioned that move east, if you like, in terms of the center of gravity. I think that's going to have some more profound impact in terms of just the kinds of content that are around. So we had that that great segment earlier in our conversation today about TikTok and you saying, you know, that AI powered interface and the 15 second videos that people consume back to back for hours on end. That kind of influence, I think, is going to trickle back into all sorts of different things, whether it's what we might have historically called TV content, whether it's things like music and music videos and all that kind of stuff. So I think what we're increasingly going to see is not just Azure's importance in terms of the platforms and the tools, but also from a cultural perspective, just the kinds of things that Asian audiences are engaging with and that they are interested in, I think we're going to see a much greater rise of that around the world, not just here. Yes, these sound like some great food for thought. And if you're looking for more inspiration, you should actually read the report. Now, Simon, where can our audience find a copy of the free report that you're talking about? So the easiest place to go is datareportal.com. I'm sure you've got show notes that go with each of these episodes, Carol. So if it's all right with you, then we'll include the link to Data Reportal in the show notes as well. But that's probably the easiest place to go to get these reports. I should probably just note the lovely folks at Hootsuite and We Are Social that make these reports possible. So if you're having any trouble getting to Data Reportal, you can also go to hootsuite.com or wearesocial.com and you will find the reports there as well. Worth noting the library page on Data Reportal has every report that we published over the last eight years. And you'll also find the 2020 reports when they come out in January as well. So bookmark it, have a look now, come back again in January, come and get all the latest data when we publish that as well. Mm -hmm. And one more thing before I let you go, other than, of course, recommending the report, do you have any other recommendations of, for example, books, movies, apps, or anything that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, I'm going to share a newsletter. I'm going to go old school and talk about emails here. So this is not necessarily just specific to Asia. But there is some Asian stuff going on in this newsletter on a regular basis as well. So it's a newsletter by a guy called Danny Den Hard. Danny's out of the UK. He publishes a weekly sort of catalogue of the most interesting and important articles that he's read over the past week. He gets a bunch of other people to help sort of curate that content as well. I have to confess, alongside Scott Galloway's newsletter, which I think I rave about every time I come on this podcast, Danny Denhard's newsletter is also one that I find absolutely fascinating. So Carol, I'll send you a link that you can include in the show notes where people can find a link to sign up for that newsletter as well. But definitely recommend that if you want to understand the latest happenings in the world of digital, uh, then that is definitely a great place to start and to make sure that you stay up to date with trends as well. That sounds great. And if our audience cannot get enough of you, Simon, how can they find you? 
Uh, I think they should probably go and check with a medical practitioner first if they can't get enough of me. But <laughs> easiest place to find me would be on LinkedIn. So you'll find me as Simon Kemp, black and white photo with a spectacles on. Um, if not, then you'll find me also on Twitter as Eskimon. And you can find Analyze Asia on all podcasting platforms from iTunes Podcast to Spotify to SoundCloud and Himalaya. You can also tweet your feedback of the show to Analyze Asia on Twitter. That is analyze with an S. And again, thank you so much for coming onto the show, Simon. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. Thanks, Carol. Speak soon.